Welcome to the Do More Podcast, where we share strategies and tips for improving your life in every aspect. Here's your host, John Farling. All right, today we've got Ian Horowitz out of Philadelphia, PA, a very good buddy of mine. We met probably about three years ago, almost exactly three years ago, I, I believe. And he is involved in a lot of real estate investing from single family, multifamily, uh, what else? Warehouse, obviously self-storage is a big thing. And you and I have done some mastermind events together that uh, I'm sure we'll get into. But why don't you introduce yourself to uh, the tens of people that are listening? Well, to the tens of thousands of people that are listening to the number, well, I guess technically it's the number two podcast in the whole universe because mine's number one. Um, uh, yes, but most of you probably know me, but if you don't, my name's Ian Horowitz with Equity Warehouse. We're actually based out of Baltimore, Maryland. I now live in Philadelphia. Uh, we own and operate, uh, a relatively large portfolio, not, not to brag, but it's, you know, it's approaching. It's pretty nine, big, right? You're it's approaching nine it. figures. And we do encompass everything from single family Airbnbs to multifamily self-storage and commercial real estate. As a whole, our primary focus is multifamily and self-storage. However, we're opportunistic investors and we will look at a deal if you have a deal and we'll try to figure out if it's something that fits into our wheelhouse. So so take us back. You didn't start there, obviously. You didn't start last week. You didn't start last year. Take us back to to the beginning. When did you start getting the itch for real estate investing? How'd that happen? Uh, I know you've got a partner. So how did all that kind of form? Yeah, I mean... I've told this story quite a bit um, and some of you maybe have seen it, but it's always good to recap it because uh, for those that don't know, my business partner and I, we were both firemen for the city of Baltimore. If you ever watched The Wire, if you saw the riots that happened, we worked in the heart of West Baltimore and we got hired in a very turbulent time. Uh, He got hired in 07. I got hired in 2008. And almost immediately from the day I left the academy, I had about six good months under my belt. We got furloughed. They closed companies. They started messing with our pension system. Obamacare came uh, that raised health care for everybody in this country. Um, uh, You know, just work conditions, no overtime. You know, we're in our mid-20s going on 30. And, uh, you know, wives start saying, hey, I want to have kids. And you're like, shit, how do I afford this? And then she's like, well, I want to have a house. I'm like, fuck, I really don't know how to afford this. Um, and then there was like the other component that came along of I was working, we were working in a job that could literally kill you, incapacitate you, put you on your ass tomorrow. How do you survive? I mean, we work for a ghetto ass city. I mean, we're talking, you know, in 08, Detroit goes bankrupt, just tells all the pensioners, fuck it. Sorry, we're not paying you anymore. California, the literally the whole state just goes under and says, we're not paying our pensioners anymore. Private industries are going bankrupt. We don't pay Social Security. And I said, man, I, I need to do something that's going to create uh, a solid retirement. Um, God forbid something happens to me. My wife can step in and run that business, right? Like it's not an active business. It's a passive business per se. Um, and something that will give us a nest egg at the end. Uh, and really what I wanted was something that I can make money while I'm asleep. And the only way that I can... Uh, think to how to do that was re- real estate. And I was like, well, okay. Well, how'd, how'd you get there? You didn't just say, oh, real, real estate investing. Something oh, happened, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Know, something. I have I have not talked about that much. So um, that was kind of my thesis of why I wanted to get into real estate. Side by side with those conversations in my head of like, well, how am I going to do this? Uh, my, my in-laws and my wife's family, they own and operate. I'm actually sitting in the building today. Um, they owned and operated a small engine repair shop. So commercial lawnmowers, weed whackers, you name it. Uh, that's what they did, lawn equipment. And they had a guy that would come in every year and he would just buy a new lawn equipment. So one year after 30 years of being in business, he doesn't show up anymore. And they said, hey, where are you? And he says, well, I don't need lawn equipment this year because I retired. And they're like, well, wait a second. Like you had all these guys that worked for you. Like what's up? And he was like, yeah, I just, every winter I'd buy a house in the local town close to where we grew up. Uh, There's a small little city that's 
not the best. It's called Norris Town. He's like, every year I'd just buy a house and I would get a Section 8 tenant and that's what I would do. And I was like, mm. well, shit, like that's interesting. Because, they, you know, hanging around the family, they were telling me the story. And I'm like, well, yeah, I really want to get in real estate. And I was like, shit, that's that's awesome. So I started doing research. I started reading books. Uh, you know, selfishly, the best sub Section 8 book is uh, Subsidized, the one that Dan <laughs> and I wrote. But I actually read uh, the Section 8 Bible. It was two guys out of Philadelphia. I read that thing cover to cover. I took it to work with me every single day. I just kept reading this thing through and through. I was like, there's no way. There's no way this is this great. And you got to remember, we're working in like really, you know, low income areas. And like you would, you could almost tell the difference. Like, man, why would this house be so nice in this neighborhood? And it started to put two and two together from the book and how things worked. And I was like, oh man, that's interesting. And then one day after work, uh, someone's like, hey, I'm going to this real estate meetup. You want to go? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I go, uh, I walk in and the lady's like, yeah, I can't wait for so-and-so to show up. This guy that actually wanted to be in my mentor, mentor for a very short period of time. Um, and they're like, yeah, he has hundreds of Section 8 houses. And I was like, dude, this is it. Like, this is the guy I want to hear speak. So he gets up there, he starts speaking and she's like, yeah, just kidding. And it was one of these like pyramid scheme selling electric things or whatever. And I was like, yo, dude, like you want to get out of here? Like, let's go grab a drink and. I want to pick your brain. And I went and picked his brain side by side with reading these books and the other dude's experience. And I was like, shit, dude, like I remember reading that in chapter three, like this is how you do this. And it was almost like word for word. I'm like, yo, this dude read this book and he's just lying to me and whatever went round and round drink for drink with the guy uh, about the only time being able to drink a lot paid off for me in my life. Um, and he's like, Hey man, if you ever really want to get into this, just give me a shout, stay in touch. And I stayed in touch. And uh, a little bit later, he shot me a house. I said, yep, let's do it. And off we went. So really, how did I get involved? And that's a long way to say, how did I get into the business? Well, I got into the business by learning and reading about it and hearing other people's experience. And I went and found someone and went and did it. That's ultimately, that's the story. I mean. Yeah. And that's powerful. I mean, and, and I mean, I obviously, you know, we talk quite a bit. You're an action taker. My guess is you're an action taker back then too. But you heard a story. You heard that real estate investing was powerful. You found a niche in Section 8 from that conversation. You found somebody to learn from. You found a book. So you took all that action. How long between, we'll say, the first conversation of Section 8 between then and buying your first, I'm assuming, Section 8 house? How long was that period? Yeah, I mean, that's 2012. Market was a little different then. You know, we're coming out of the financial crisis. I have no trauma whatsoever from 08 because I was a broke. I mean, I was literally a broke piece of shit. Like, you guys got to understand, like, I had 15 grand in my name. Um, my credit score was maybe like 575. Like, I, I, I had a relatively turbulent past. And, um, you know, it, it was just a different time. So I was able to pick up a house within probably 90 days, 90 to 180 days of reading that book. And really from the time I met that gentleman at that meetup to when I bought my first house was under 60 days. As soon as I said, hey, man, I'm really interested. I went and met him out one other time. He said, listen, anything comes up, I'll let you know. I didn't know what wholesaling was then. Some wholesaler hits him up and says, Hey, I got this house for 20 grand. You want in? And I was like, Dude, I'm in. I have no clue how I'm going to pay for it. Nothing. Um, and that's where I remember reading about hard money loans and I got a hard money loan and I put my last $15,000 out. I had no clue how I was going to refinance it. I just said, You know what? If I lose all the money that we have, um, and oh, in 2012, um, 29, going on 30, uh, and I'm just like, fuck it. If I lose it all, I still have 20 years of career left. I'll work my way out. Like I didn't care about like, if I lost it all, I went bankrupt. I was like, well, fuck it. My credit's already screwed up anyway. So who cares? And if I lost it all, I'm like, well, I only had 15 grand. I'll just eventually go work overtime or I'll work other side jobs. I've had, I've had other failures in my life. Like failing at money didn't bother me because I was already, I had already failed at dealing with money. So I was like, screw it, just go do it. You know? Um, and ultimately, you know, I didn't realize that we had massive tailwinds at our back at that time, yeah. that that's what would launch us to the next level because we hit it, the market at the right time. I, I like to think that we're super smart and we knew all these investment theses and we knew how to manage money better than other people. But I will admit 
100% that we hit the market at exactly probably the absolute bottom and right time to get into real estate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some of that, but you guys took, you, you took, you learned a few things, educated yourself, found a mentor, took action. And then obviously the rest you're consistent. We'll talk about that. But I think you said something that maybe was kind of overlooked was you weren't afraid to take risk. You weren't afraid to lose money. And it's funny because at some point, more likely, most of us have gotten real estate investing. We're in nine to five and then wanted to get out and do something else or do something more. And to me, it's a, a bigger gamble of not trying that than it is trying it and failing. Really, if that that one house would have failed, you wouldn't have gone bankrupt and broke, right? Like, what's the worst that really could have happened there? Um, it's funny that we kind of equate taking a risk like that, buying one house, that it may ruin our entire lives, right? It's weird that society's kind of set us up that way. <clears throat> well, society is set up against us, right? Like they don't teach us about money in school, right? Uh, I'm not trying to make this political. Let's let's be serious. No, make it political. Do it. Well, I mean, there's a reason I homeschool my kids, right? They don't teach about money in school. They don't teach about how to make alternative investments. Alternative investments are only for the rich and wealthy and uber important. Well, dude, like, are we not important? We make the world go around, right? And when you look at that, you're like, well, why why don't they teach this? Because they want you to invest in the stock market. And look, I never really understood stocks because I was like, so wait a second. I got to put a bunch of money in a stock fund that I have zero control over. And that magically one day at a later date, if I put away this much money and then there's X percent amount of growth, then it'll be worth a million bucks when I retire. And I was like, well, fuck, a million dollars is nothing. Nope. And I was like, well, I'd rather buy a rental property that I can go see, feel, and touch. Yes, it'll create a lot of gray hair for you and or lose a lot of hair, depending how you do this. But if I could go invest in a house and over the next 30 years, I make a few hundred dollars of cash flow. And then I pay someone else pays my mortgage off. Well, that's $150,000 savings account that I didn't have to save up for. Someone else made that savings for me. And it's almost like the banks are financing your future wealth. And I'm like, well, shit, that makes a lot of sense to me. Cool. Let's do that. Right. And they don't teach you these things because ultimately society or the man or whatever you want to look at them. I know people call it the matrix right now, the man, whatever you want to call it. They do want you to be a worker bee. They don't want you to break the mold. They don't want you to have success for a reason because you stay inside the system. And then when you break the system, and we can talk about that when I quit my job, how crazy that was. When you break that mold and you figure it out, like what you can unlock in life is so much, it's, it's just insane what you can do. I mean, you've done it. I've done it. We know multiple other real estate investors and business owners that have done it. It is a really powerful thing. Once you can get out of that grind every single day. They want you to get up at 6 a.m. They want you to go get your breakfast from Walla or Dunkin' Donuts or wherever it is. They want you to have an hour commute to work. They want you to be in at your job from nine to five. Hint, hint, why do you think you go to school and the bell rings, move you from class to class, right? It's the same as going to work and the bell rings and keeps it moving. And I know if you read some older books, that's literally what the Rockefellers were talking about. Well, they have a lot of great ideas on one side. They had a lot of really evil things on the other side. And I don't know, man. It's it's pretty crazy when you really get down into it. Yeah, it's a hamster wheel, right? And then, yeah. well, it's funny. And then once you get off the hamster wheel, the tax system is set up for people that's off the hamster wheel, right? And we're yeah. not taught that until you've got to do your own research, basically, right? You're not going to be taught it. Your CPA is not going to tell you. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. That's probably another. But how can you thing. how can you learn it if you're at work all the time? How can you figure right. it out? Like I remember, like. Again, you're seeing the culmination of years of work from being John or John and I and many other people that put themselves out there, right? And that's why it's hard for us to put ourselves out there because we're still working every single day. But dude, you got to remember, like I would go to work and I would sit right where the riots happen. When you see the CBS burn, go look up CBS burning in uh, in Baltimore City during the riots. We would get runs there all night long, dude. I mean, it was where there was a bus stop. It's called it's North and Pennsylvania Avenue. And it's just a shithole. We'd be out there picking up drug addicts and all this other crap, middle of the night. Two o'clock in the morning, I'm bringing my phone with me after I got woken up to go handle something. I was driving. I'd just sit there and scroll deals. Man, how's this person do this deal? How, I would YouTube. I would learn 24 hours around the clock. 
where most people, they go to work, right? They get up, they go do their workout, they go work, they go to work all day, they get home, they're beat, watch a little bit of TV, watch a little bit of sports. And actually, you know, they're going to bed and they don't consume any content to make themselves better. And the reason I bring this up is because I just went through this again, man. I, I felt really out of place. Like I really enjoyed watching the Phillies trying to get to the World Series. And I got I, w- I was thankful enough to be able to go to the games. But then I was so sucked in. I was like, man, I'm up late every night. I'm fucking beat, dude. Like I hadn't been watching sports for the last several years. All I've been doing is consuming content, how to buy business, how to buy real estate. How What's the next best thing? What are other people doing? That's all I would spend my time doing every night. Like so sometimes me and my wife would beef about it. And then I when I go and watch TV, I feel so out of sync where I should be consuming content and learning. And most people don't want to take that extra step to go learn, break the mold, and go be something better than really what they're doing every day. Yeah, we're gonna get off track here, but I like it. Uh, this is I was hoping we'd do that. I think. There's there's a time and place for entertainment, right? Sports is awesome. I, we both played sports, but and like t- watching the Phillies, that's one thing. But I don't. If you're in a situation that you want out of, and you're watching sports the entire weekend, or like you said, a few hours at night when you get home, you're still on that hamster wheel, and you're also on in someone's alternate universe. You're basically playing fantasy football because you're not playing. What are you getting out of that? I get like every once in a while, don't get me wrong. Like I watch some basketball, I watch some golf. I watch a little bit of football, but it's half hour here, half hour there. It's probably not more than a total of two hours a month. It doesn't yeah, consume right. me, but right. yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's like a virtual reality and they want us. That's a part of the hamster wheel. They want us to keep on that. Well, think about how many people have like fantasy football draft parties and they're traveling and doing, I'm like, what are you spending money on? Like to go do that? Like, Never really was my thing, and I enjoy like a little bit of sports betting, but I'm not kind of like stay up all night, like sitting there going, "Oh my god, this guy's gonna win! Oh my god, this guy's gonna win!" Like and yep. flicking all the channels. I'm like, "Oh, whatever." I put the bet in. If it wins, it wins. Great. If not, whatever. My life, my life continues on. But these people get so consumed with this stuff. It's like, where does that get you, dude? Like you, they got you. You're working in the wheel, and then you're sucked into this other wheel, and now they're just juggling you around, and they're keeping you occupied. Um, so yeah, that, man. that's the same thing as investing in the stock market. No control. Correct. Correct. No control. And everybody look at dude, look at Tesla. Look, I like Elon Musk. I think he's probably the smartest dude in the world, but everyone's investing in him, but they don't even turn a profit yet. Yeah. He's got some insane market valuation. People are like, oh, I just keep buying it. I'm like, what if this dude just like, uh, what do they call them? Like a, a, a psyop or one of those, um, people that are on your side, but then they're trying to trick you. Like, what if, dude, what if you're dumping all this fucking money in there and then boom, they just like they pull the rug out. I don't think it'll happen. But still, you're investing in a company that's increasing in value that shows negative cash flow. Like, that's that's crazy. And they want you to do that because they want you to stay in this in this rabbit hole of shit to try to like they control your money at that point. When it's on Wall Street, I mean, think about who the biggest owners of most of the companies on Wall Street is. It's BlackRock. It's uh, what's the other one? Uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, and I, there's one more. They're the three biggest controllers. Those are the three biggest ones that have the most issues with everything we do in this world. And I would say, until you're independently wealthy, the stock market is a place to store wealth, not necessarily a place to gain wealth. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a really good point. No, you're not you're not going to get wealthy putting your money in the stock market unless you're a day trader and that's your job and you understand the nuances. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And this is why John and I take four hours to talk to each other every day because we get so derailed on these conversations. But this is where the growth is, right? Like this yeah. is this is it. People say, well, who do you talk to every day? I, I talk to John. I talk to Jason. And I talk to one or two other people every day. And yeah. sometimes my days are just gone because I'm on the phone all day. But this is where you learn other things. Like we're in a text group. Someone shot a text. Hey, this company's doing this. Shit, great idea. Let me go research it, right? Like staying in communication and learning other ideas and a lot of the time, if you are working at W-2, and I don't know if this is the conversation we're having, but like I was in a W-2 where a lot of people wanted to take you down and not see you yeah. get to that next level. And surrounding yourself with the right people, consuming the content. If you can't surround yourself with the people, with the right people, at least go consume the content of the right people that are going to help you get to the next level. And there's a lot of good content out there. And I'm, I'm not going to be selfish and say it's mine or John's. I'm going to say there is a lot of really good fucking content out there. If you want to get motivated and you can't find a friend group that's going to motivate you, 
I will say stay in the YouTube wormhole because you will find some legit people. There's Goggins. There's Milet. There's Dan Pena. There's Andy Frasilla. There's Hermosi. There's Russell Brunson. There's all these dudes. If you really want to be motivated, there's someone out there for you to get you to that next level, whether you know them or you don't. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. I do want to get back to your story. Oh, yeah. Let's get back to our story. Well, but hold on. I, I think it's easier now than ever from what we know in time to make money and be successful and be wealthy. And I get it. That's not for everybody. Not everyone wants to do that, but it's easier now than ever, right? Like we have society's put such a bad stigma on just money itself that I think that's ruined a lot of people's framework. And it's like, now, you know what? I'm good working 40 hours. I'm okay with my job. I kind of like it. I'm okay where I'm going. I've got, you know, I'm going to have 2 million in my 401k by the time I retire. I'm okay. You know what? If that's you, that's com- like there's nothing wrong with that. I think what we're talking about is once you once you kind of it's like the red blue blue pill, right? In Matrix, it's like once once you see the other side, it's like there's so much more out there. And even if it's not money, I, and you could probably talk to this when you quit your job, there's so much mental clarity, and it doesn't necessarily happen right away, but there's so many things that open up that you just see things completely different. Uh, that's a hundred percent. I don't want to, I, I don't know which way you're going with my story. I will talk about clarity when I get to my quitting section of the story, depending where we're going. But if you want me to talk about it now, I'm more than happy to, because it was the biggest weight ever lifted off my shoulders. But you know, yeah. we'll, uh, let's well, yeah, keep let's, going let's, down the story. Let's we'll back get- up. So 2012, you guys got your first section eight house. Um, what did you guys do? Did you guys do the rehab yourself or contract that out? So in 2012, the first house that I ever bought, uh, I actually did that one on my own. Um, dude, I, I had no fucking clue. I paid, I paid 25 grand. I maybe put 25, 30 grand into it. I don't know. I was out there doing the plumbing. I can't say it was right, but I did it. I was out there doing the painting, the sheetrock. I did, I did everything, right? I just go find some guys from Firehouse, pay them a few hundred bucks. Let's go do some shit. I had no clue what I was doing, but I knew immediately that like I could not sustain this if I wanted to, if I wanted to grow. So I did that house. Um, and then I went down. So long story short, I was all in for about 50, 60 grand. I got 1250 rent. I got my credit almost to a place where it was like respectable enough to get a loan. Uh, I got, you know, I took the cash flow, even with the hard money loan, I was able to take extra cash. Uh, and go get rid of my debts. I would go work side work on top of doing this house. I was landscaping. I would go and do whatever I had to do to make some extra money to keep paying my debts off to get my credit score up. And finally, when I refinanced it, I think I want to say I um, my mortgage payment was all in it, like six hundred, and my cash flow was like six six hundred a month, six fifty a month. Dude, that you gotta you gotta understand That's like. Really an overtime shift then, oh, to be fair, I have a really good track of my numbers. Like, I, I just like, fuck it. I need 50 grand because I think that's what I have into it. Um, but, dude, oh, and my first mortgage rate was like 3.1 something percent. It was insane. Yeah. And I didn't know what I had then. Like, if I had I known what I know today, I would have done thousands of houses that one year. Right. But what I did learn was 650 bucks a month in cash flow was the world to me. And I was like, well, shit, it takes me two callbacks or two overtime shifts to get that same money, but I can't even work overtime. So I said, screw it, let's go buy another house. So I took that same lender, uh, same property in the similar area and did the same thing. Except this time, I got people to come do this sheetrock. I got people to come do different items. So my all-in cost was a little bit higher, but boom, this one, I started cash flow in 500. So I started growing. Well, one of the houses, um, I got Dan, my current business my my business partner, um, he uh, he was doing some electric work for me, and I think he just said, "Fuck this! What am I doing?" Because he was trying to get extra money to get out of some issues that he had. So he started learning about wholesaling. So from 2012 to about 2014, I had ten houses on my own. Dan gets into wholesaling, and finally, you know, we grew up together. And he says to me, "He says, hey, dude, I got this package of four houses. I want to wholesale three of them, and I want to flip the fourth." And I said, "All right, dude, fuck it, let's do it." So we flipped the fourth, we, we wholesale the three off, we flipped the fourth, we have like a six figure payday and said, dude, that was fucking awesome. Let's do it again. Six months go by, find another house, other side of town. Coincidentally, the first house we ever did was 1112 Scott Street. And then the second house we ever did was 1112 Steelton. It's funny, the same address number. 
But anyway, boom, bang that one out. We sell it. We make 40, 50 grand uh, flipping that house. We're like, dude, this is awesome. A couple months later, you know, we formalized everything, started DNI development. Uh, granted, we're called Equity Warehouse now, but DNI development and off to the races we went, went out, raised a million bucks from someone that we knew. And we just hit the ground running and we just went for it because uh, we didn't know any better. Um, we were both in a position we were trying to make sure our wives didn't have to go to work every day. They could stay at home, take care of our kids. Uh, and it's it's and it's worked out insanely good today. Um, but, yeah, that's the very humble beginnings of where we started. So, yeah. So 12, 14, single family, Section 8. Uh, we'll fast forward a little bit. Next six years, yeah. what'd you pick up? Yeah, Obviously so you're building a team during during this time too, right? Yeah. So one thing that we did really well, and like people look at us today and say, "Well, you're in all these different asset classes." But what we did really well from 2012 to 2000, late 18, early 19, is we did single family houses really, really well. You know, we we learned how to rate. We were, we learned how to renovate and build houses. We learned how to instill a project manager. We learned how to hire a maintenance guy. We learned how to bookkeep. We learned how to talk to banks in what we were really good at and get lines of credits from them. We were able to bring investors in to start investing with us. We did single family houses really, really good that allowed us to launch to the next level. So from to essentially 2012, from when I started and Dan started, I mean, we, we've probably flipped uh, like a little over a hundred houses. We built a hundred house portfolio. We started buying some small commercial, small multifamily in that time frame. Uh, and then we got priced out in 2019 and we really took a step back. And that's when we said, okay, like, let's concentrate on operations. Let's take a deep breath, you know, because in the marketplace, we'd be all in for 120 grand, getting 1250 rent. They were worth a buck 50. We could do them all day because at a buck 50, I'll save you the time, energy, and effort. 75% of that is $120,000. If we knew we were in under $120,000, great, we get some money back. If we were over $120,000, great, we'd have to pay some money out. Sometimes we would just straight break even. Um, it all worked out, right? And But we knew our metric. We knew our exact number. Deals would pop up. We'd go buy them. Our good friend, Terry Royce, he'd have like six, seven houses. He couldn't wholesale. Terry will take all of them. You know what I mean? Like we just, we knew what we wanted, where we wanted and how we wanted to finance it. And we got really good at building our product. So then in 19, when it all slows down and we, we built this portfolio, it's like, well, what is next? And we didn't know what next was. And that's when I, again, I went back to the well, started studying YouTube again, started looking at other people's syndications, learning about multifamily, learning about self-storage um, and getting out there and really grinding and applying what we've learned and done there but on bigger assets um so yeah so from there in 2019 is kind of when we transitioned from single family real estate to commercial real estate that's awesome uh and at this point in time it's you two and who else is, you have a team you've built somewhat of a team right uh yes um so over that time frame, you know, and don't quote me, but we, Ryan stepped in, he became our project manager. I mean, that was like really scary, you know, because there's cash coming in, there's cash flowing out the door. We had no clue. I, I mean, I think at the time, don't quote me, Ryan, don't, don't beat me up if you're watching this, but I want to say we offered him 50 or 60 grand to come and work for us. We do, we we didn't fucking know any better. You know, he, he had his own company. He was doing, he was subbing for us. We offered him the position. He really wanted to take, take it. Look, it, it's blossomed into something really beautiful today, but we had no fucking clue. You know what yeah. I mean? It was the first employee we ever had, like we, we didn't even have an office. We would go to corner bakery or Panera bread on fr on Thursdays and we would go do payroll. Dan would sit there and write checks and Ryan <laughs> would go distribute them. Dude, we didn't even have a fucking office, you know? Yeah. And then from there, we added some maintenance guys part-time. And then when we bought a 76-unit apartment building, we hired an office manager. Uh, but now today, I mean, we have almost 15 employees. But yeah, dude, that was scary stuff. Like, we didn't know any better. Everyone was like, oh, you'll, you'll know when you need to hire someone. No, you don't, dude. Like, you're like, fuck, how are you going to afford something? I don't fucking know, you know? And then there's times where you're like, man, thank God I did it. But looking back on it, in that moment in time, it was the hardest decision I think we ever made because we didn't, we didn't know any better, dude. Like there was no one to like, Hey, what do you do here? And I think pe too many people do online, make it like, Oh, you'll just know when it's right to do it. Well, no, you don't. Cause like you're enjoying cash flows and you're like, 
Well, if I pay someone 50, 60 grand a year, well, then what? Well, I don't know. That money comes out of someone's pocket, right? But it should also free up bandwidth to grow and expand. And that's what we learned was freeing us up there allowed us to go back to the office to then concentrate on everything that we were ignoring that we never realized we ignored until we said, oh, okay, well, Ryan's handling the day-to-day. Shit, we got to get our books right. Okay, we got to get our taxes right. Okay, we got to get deal flow process right. Great, we need to find more vendors. Uh, it allowed me to free up and say, hey, vendor, I do want to go golf with you. I do want to go get lunch with you. I want to talk about pricing because you have the time freedom to do it. Yep. In the moment in time, you're out there grinding. You are the one that has to take care of everything. But if you can realize at some point that you don't have to be the one and start to move your way out, it'll allow your company to breathe and ultimately it'll provide a better product for everybody involved. Yep. Well, and and way back then, which we're talking what, five years ago, masterminds, I don't think we're really on the forefront. At least I didn't know much about them. Like I learned most of my stuff, like you said, podcasts, YouTube. Um, my guess is you've probably come further faster through masterminds and we've been in, in some and gone to other events, but you didn't have that at your fingertips then, right? It was you and Dan trying to piece things together. You just took action and, and pulled the lever, just did it, which there's power in doing that. But how much do you think things would have changed if you guys would have gotten plugged into some type of mastermind, we'll say 10 years ago? Yeah, years I think ago. I think we would have done something a little more formal and really bucked up. Cause again, like spend 50 grand there, spend 50 grand on an employee. It's like, it's a no brainer, right? Yeah. Like spend 50 grand on the employee and let's figure it the fuck out. Hindsight probably should have spent 50 grand on the mastermind and 50 grand on the employee. And God knows where we would be today. But you know, a lot of it is just limiting beliefs, you know? Yeah. So, uh, there's still days when I'm like, even though we have a mastermind together, it's like, I'm like, oh, I really want to go sing Kumbaya because sometimes it can turn into those types of sessions and you're not always ready for that. Nope. Um, you know, and I think being a part of a group that allows you to speak with other business operators and realize and it, like, dude, everybody does it. I don't care who you are. Everybody. I guarantee Gary B has someone he puts up on a pedestal. I guarantee Andy Priscilla has someone he puts up on a pedestal. While they might not admit it in public, everybody has that one person. And I mean, we've been in rooms with really high people. Are you trying to say I'm your one person? Is that what you're getting at? You trying to, what are you doing later? What's up? Um, (laughs) No, but everyone's got that one person that they put on a pedestal that they're like, man, that dude's got to figure the fuck out. And you know, you know this because people have, I've been in rooms where they're like, yeah, I want, I want my business to look like John Farling's. And I'm like, well, yeah, dude, I respect that. But like, I talked to John and I know he's got fucking problems. Like no offense, but like you got problems. I got, I've been in rooms where people are like, I want to, I want my business to look like yours. I'm like, dude, listen, like I do not have it figured the fuck out. I'm going to let no, you know no, right no. now. And what the rooms do is basically take that person and rip the cape off of them. And you're like, fuck that person's no better than me. I mean, we have a friend of ours owns a massive landscaping company has a great CDL drivers program brings money in hand over fist and me and you both sit there every day. You're like, dude, that guy's got it figured out. He's got it figured out. But then you get in a room and he's just like, yeah, dude, I don't know that I got figured out. You're like, dude, you got all this shit. How's that possible? Like, dude, you're doing millions of dollars a year. Like, this is great. Like you're insane for thinking that. And yes, looking at other people's problems and trying to help them. It also gut checks you to be like, man, I just told so-and-so I just told John to go hire an employee, but yet I don't have any fucking employees. Well, yep. dude, now you're a fraud, right? So the rooms do two things. They help make you realize that everybody's the same. Everybody's got problems. Oh. And number two, it humbles you in what you're spouting and what you're doing every day in your own actions. So yep. yeah, the answer, the long-winded answer to your question is, yes, probably should have done a fucking mastermind back then. And who knows where we'd be today. So, yeah. Well, the best, the best way to learn is by teaching, right? And I think that's part of those rooms too, right? Like you just said it. There are times where we say things to someone else because we have the answer for other people's problems. We just don't have the answer for our own problems. Um, yeah. Until we say it to someone else and then it clicks in like a week later. And it's like, oh, what I told so-and-so, I should probably implement as well. Which no, oh, yeah. it is, is what it is. But all right. So <clears throat> 19, I know you got in the storage. How did you find storage? What's that? I don't think we've ever talked about that. How'd you get in the storage and how'd you find it? And, Obviously. Yeah, so 
it's kind of imagine this. It's a long-winded story because I don't ever shut the fuck up. But I'll give it to you because I love your audience. Um, so 2018, 19, a friend of ours, Pete, comes to us, says, Hey, I got 34 units of multifamily out in Ranson, West Virginia. And I'm like, dude, West Virginia, I'm thinking banjos, the whole nine. Really, it's an extension of Maryland. We had never syndicated a deal. We had never at this point let anybody else but us manage our own properties. Uh, we've never done anything out of state. And we said, Pete, just go do it yourself. And he keeps coming back. Similar situation to what we were just talking about. He's like, no, dude, you guys got me started in the business. I can't do this on my own. I want to do it with you. I said, all right, man. Well, we're going to split it in thirds. So we split it in thirds and we do this property. And it turns out that it's a bit of a gold mine. It's a really good property. But there's no scale for us in Ransom, West Virginia, because it's a tiny ass town. It's a tiny ass MSA. Like there's there's not a gigantic market we can't expand. Well, a couple months later, after doing this deal, as the world would have it, someone brings us an owner finance 76 unit apartment building. And we're like, dude, it's in Baltimore City. This is in our wheelhouse. Really long story. We end up. This is a long story. Well, no, listen, I'm going to get there <laughs> of why we ended up in storage is we end up with this deal and it was like, shit, dude, maybe multifamily is the thing. Let's go, dude. Like we got a seven unit. We got 44, 34 units. Uh, we got a, a 76 unit. Let's go find more multifamily. But dude, it's 2019 when money's cheap. Deals are flowing. Everybody's in multifamily. Everybody's in multifamily. And I'm like, dude, there's there's no way. Um, and a friend of ours said, Hey, I'm going to this event from this guy. You want to go? Sure. I'll go check out storage. I got there. I was like, fuck, that was amazing. Went to another guy's event, a group that we were a part of, went to his group. I was like, shit, this is amazing. Went back to the other guy's group. I was like, this is still amazing. And that's how I got the start in storage. Um, I thought that there was plenty of, um, bandwidth and growth opportunities to buy a lot of storage, right? Because if you start doing deals, like you want to have bandwidth. Last thing you want to do is go buy a multifamily property and then can't do another one, right? Like, and I just realized in storage, it really opened up our marketplace. It allowed us to diversify our market from Baltimore City, which if you know Baltimore, it's an interesting place. Got us out of the state of Maryland. We also had issues understanding how to, even though we had a great relationship in West Virginia, Thinking about owning multifamily real estate all across this country gives us agita. Uh, whereas owning commercial assets where people aren't living in them is a little bit easier to swallow. And that's how we ended up on storage. It was just like, all right, well, we can get out of this marketplace. There's a ton of opportunity. We could even build some if we want. It's pretty easy to understand how and where you should build multi or uh, self-storage. Well, fuck it. Let's get into this. And, and that's what really launched us into self-storage was the opportunity uh, and the path to acquiring more, more than just one deal. Yeah. And you're like, like you said, you it's probably smart too. You start investing in other areas other than Baltimore, which is probably tougher to do in other asset classes, right? Especially single family, unless you buy a huge portfolio with systems already in place. Um, let's fast forward a little bit. Cause I usually ask this question. This is like my big question that I came up with myself. So I'm, I'm proud of it. One huge transition in your life that's gotten you here. And I'm guessing it's probably, what, about two years ago. Well, thanks for framing framing it up and making me say it. But Well, unless was, you got another one. Well, I was going to say it's 2023, so I could transition to anything I want. But um, really what it was, the, the number one transition, or the, would you ask the number one what? The number one. Uh, biggest transition in your life that's gotten you where you are now. Yeah, uh, I would say number one would be hiring. Ryan has been an amazing thing for us. And mm -hmm. I'd say number number one side by side or number two is quitting my fucking job, quitting our jobs and having true bandwidth and under, you know, like operating real estate every single day and making this our full time job. You know, because before while we were respected, it was still always viewed as a hobby. Well, before we would still go to work and I thought I could manage going to work. And running a real estate portfolio side by side with Dan and Ryan, it turns out that really we were 
just white knuckling, taking a ride, thinking we had it all under control. But there was a lot more stuff that we weren't doing because the day we quit to to now or a few months ago, I mean, we probably doubled portfolio size, if not more. I mean, immediately, like it was a rush right out the door. And that was probably one of the best things that we have done. I mean, that was the clearest like thing that we have done. Like when we hired Ryan, like we knew we had, it was a great thing for us. I don't think we realized it until you look back on it versus when we quit, it was like obvious. It was like, boom, in your face. There's tons of opportunity. I get to work these hours. I don't, I don't have to get up for the man. Like, you know, like the weight that's just lifted off your shoulders when you quit, you're like, holy shit, that is just an amazing feeling. And I would say that's probably the number one thing. Now, don't, I hope your audience doesn't take it as go quit your job tomorrow. I mean, we had a lot of things in place the day we quit. But for us, when we did quit, it was huge for us. How did you, obviously your business was impacted when you quit. How was your your life, your family life, everything outside of business, how was that impacted? Uh, well, today's not a good day to ask that, but <laughs> nine times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, life's a lot better, dude. I mean, sleep-ins every night, spend more time with the wife and family, you know, more home-cooked meals. I mean, I'm still a fat dude, but I mean, I sh- I'm telling you, I shaved 20, 30 pounds off immediately, even with growing this big-ass beard, like, it was gone. Like, the stress was gone. The cortisol was, like, gone. The eating all the bullshit was gone, you know, sleepless nights gone. Um, so that was, that was definitely a big thing for me. I mean, family life, family time, like, you know, I just finished coaching fall ball with the girls, um, from my oldest, like, dude, I I think I sit there and think about it. I was like, well, how the fuck would I, I manage my schedule that we work, uh, four weekends, you're like four week. oh, Oh, there's only two weekends. You don't work out of an eight weekend cycle. And man, that'd be really hard to imagine of like trying to get off all the time and spending time with the girls and more family time. And I, look, it's a massive adjustment for me, uh, you know, because we were away a lot. You know, holidays aren't a thing for me, but like getting to do like knowing you're going to do Christmas, knowing you're going to do Halloween, not having an excuse. Like, oh, I got to go to work and just like duck out of all that shit. It's a different challenge, but it's it's a fun challenge to take on. I'm, I'm not I mean, I'll be transparent with you guys. I'm not like a huge like like life person like that uh i hope that makes sense you know what i'm trying to say but it is fun to be able to be a part of like all these other things that uh i wasn't exposed to before or even in my early childhood um that i get to do now with my kids and my wife which is super fun yeah no that's awesome so we'll fast forward your your business a little bit here you've got what 600 700 square feet of storage yeah, right? we we do it. We directly own and operate about six hundred thousand square feet. We we own about seven hundred thousand square feet. Um, we have shit about two hundred fifty residential units between multifamily and single family, and we have a little over a hundred thousand square feet of commercial uh, space. You know, uh, like light industrial slash office. Uh, that's what the portfolio. Oh, we have a couple Airbnbs too, but that's what the portfolio looks like today. So yeah, and still growing, obviously. What's yeah. your what's your um because I try to I'm sure we're gonna hit on a few other things here, but I try to keep this under an hour if we can. What's your uh what's your best attribute in life and business? Uh you taking the words right out of my mouth because obviously it's the looks, but I would say it's motivation and always thinking positively. Um I would say I did a podcast the other day and someone said, yo, what's your motivational quote? I said, I don't really get into motivational quotes from other people. Like I'm sure there's something that sticks in my head, but I can't really think of it off the top of my head. But what does stick to the top of my head is like telling people to go swing the bat because we swing the bat every day. Like you can't get a hit unless you swing the goddamn bat. Right. Um, And I, I think that's really important. And always being able to say, okay, shit happened. How do we get to the next level? Not like, you know, you got to remember, I worked with a bunch of dudes that it was like, end of the world's coming. Guys were living paycheck to paycheck. You know, it's like, whatever, we're putting our lives on the line. Fuck it. Let's go drink all weekend. Like, dude, like those days are like way behind me. And I just look at it as like being positive and tr- be like, all right, this is fucked up. What are we doing next to get to the next spot? This this works. Let's get to the next spot. 
Uh, I want to try something new, go swing the bat, right? And just being positive and always advancing forward is a positive thing for me. But my business partner luckily has the complete opposite and is always pulling the reins back. And that's how we build that nice uh, push-pull relationship. I push him out of his comfort level. He keeps me rein the fuck in. Uh, and that's how we build what we built today. And is your wife similar to your business partner in that regard? 1,000 million percent. So. <laughs> so you need someone always holding you back is what you're saying. Now, holding back is not the right. Not holding back. Holding back is not the right word. Gut checking the dumb fucking ideas that I get sometimes. It's okay. like, well, wait a second, dude. Like you got this going on. You got that going on. You got this going on. How the fuck are you going to manage another thing? And I always say, I got it. Don't worry about it. But part of that is realizing when you have team and employees in place, it's like, well, if I just could do X, Y, and Z, then I could put so-and-so in place to then do X, Y, and Z so I can continue to go do the other thing. I just saw a thing from a real from someone the other day. And I, look, I, I, we all got our vices. I spend too much time on Facebook and Instagram. Um, but someone was I talking know. about, uh, what's his name that owns Virgin airlines. He owns 400 fucking businesses. I think and everything flows through his secretary. Nothing gets to him unless I his saw that secretary too. has answered it. Oh, maybe you sent it. Did you send it to me? You probably said, I don't it remember. Me. I saw it though. And I was like, God damn, what a concept. Right. And think about how much more bandwidth, how much more and bandwidth could be whatever you want. For me, bandwidth equates to doing more business and spending more time with my family. Um, you know, having that one thing allows you to go do that much more stuff, right? And if you could do more business by having that one employee in place, it could also allow you to have more free time with your family and they can grow side by side, not one or the other. I think too many yep. people are one other and it's like no you can do both great at the same time most people just don't want to put the systems in place to be able to do both at the same time yeah you know, so, look, i'm not great at it either i haven't figured it the fuck out i try to every day uh but you yeah, know small I'm small improvements each day so exactly. so you hit on a good point actually uh a mastermind that i just joined the uh coo whatever his name is he said something about in the room uh, or no, in an email, one of the introduction emails, he said, make sure you guys send uh, me your assistant's email. And I'm like, assistant? Like, what? What? Yeah, assistant what? All right. Yeah. And then, uh, we, you know, we all got in the room and he's like, okay, I see a lot of you guys don't have assistants. If you don't have a personal assistant, you know, you need to get one. And in mine, I'm thinking, and this is similar to a year and a half ago when people were telling me I need to hire a full-time employee. I'm like, what's a personal assistant going to do? I get seven emails a day. Like right. I, I don't get it. Are you, are you at a spot where you need a personal assistant? Take, throw out your text messages and Instagram reels. Other than that, do you need, do you think you would have more bandwidth if you had an assistant personal? Assistant? Well, let's, I don't think this is a fair, I don't think that guy has a fair statement because I know you have an ops manager uh, who she answers a bunch of stuff for you. And I think you could, put those tasks on her to be like, Hey, so-and-so is going to email you about this. You can handle it. So, and I'm going to use that selfishly to launch myself to the next point of defining a true assistant. I think too many people have like the old school mentality of uh, secretary that sat out in front of the big boss's office. Whereas I look at it is, and I've had this debate in a lot of rooms of, I think it's selfish and wrong to have all the business on your back and not advance employees and hire people and build your company big enough to have them, right? Because you're giving people the opportunity to succeed. So do I have a direct assistant? No, but if I got that exact email, I would say, reach out to Dawn or Raquel from my office. I would say, hey, listen, I know we don't do this, but can you handle this for me? Because I don't think we need an assistant because we have so many employees that are doing work for us on a daily basis. Like I jumped on a call 10 minutes before we recorded this, I said, cool, you got it handled. He just wanted our ops manager for this the storage stuff. He just wanted a couple uh, verification on things, and that's it. And he, he's keeping it moving. He's onboarding five new stores. I think I've spent less than an hour on the whole situation. And to me, that is impactful and powerful. So to say I have a true assistant, no. Do I have an assistant roundabout way? Yes, I have employees that I could delegate tasks to. 
to handle whatever I need to handle. Cause I go back and forth all the time. I was like, man, it'd be cool if I had like a VA that was like truly my assistant. Cause like I booked my airfare to go to speak at someone's event in a few weeks. And then I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this? Oh, that's right. Because I don't want someone else booking my airfare. Cause I want to kind of control my timeline and my guidelines and everything else. So yeah, I don't know. It's a weird question, but I think having the team around you and I know I'm just talking the talk at this point, uh, but I'm trying to talk through this situation because I don't have one and I'm in the same position of you. I think having a team around you to delegate tasks to is more important than per se having an assistant. Yeah. And I think, I think that's probably what needs to be hit on is everyone's situation is different. Real estate investing. Yeah, if you've got 10 houses, you prop 20 houses. You're probably one man band. You're doing a lot of things yourself. You're probably just running ragged and you probably need some type of an assistant. Uh, the system that you've got in place, you've delegated a lot of the, especially business tasks and you're hang, you're holding on to the business things that you're good at. And you've held on to personal things that, that you want to do as well. And you know, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I don't, you know, as you grow, you figure those things out too, right? If you're traveling, 20 times out of the year, maybe eventually you do need someone to book all your airlines. Yeah. And I think stuff, stuff flowed through enough now that like, I I think we have enough layers in place or enough employees in place is a better way to put it. That what flows to my desk is tax problems, new deals and investor stuff. And anything else that slips through the crack is like legit issues today. So far I've handled a couple issues on our investor platform. I've handled some loan stuff. Uh, and I think that's pretty much all I've handled today. Uh, and then I obviously I booked my airfare, but I also have the bandwidth to go book my airfare, right? Like, um, you know, to, to delegate, to be able to delegate stuff, I think is what is more important out of this whole thing. So, yep. No, that's good. So let's, uh, unless anything else comes up, let's hit on a little bit, the, the mastermind that we're the events that we've put on, <laughs> somewhat groups that we've kind of put together. What's uh, what's your vision or idea of doing a mastermind? Well, it looks like we're about to mastermind in front of the whole fucking world. So yeah, let's do uh, it. But this is why we do it, right? And we did put together a group because John and I saw a need of fit uh, out of some other groups that we were involved in to build something that speaks to people that want to continue to do business and do life side by side with it. And we've done four events now. Uh, Three of them more or less have either been in one of our hometowns and we finally did one on the road. And we had someone plan the whole thing. By the way, thank you, Liz, if you're listening. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Speaking of assistance or whatever you want to call it, team members to delegate shit to, she fucking crushed it, dude. Yep. And it makes it more fun. It makes us want to go do more events because dude, we had 15, we had what, almost 25, 20 people with business partners and everything about 25 people in this room between vendors, uh, attendees, business partners, 25 people who we know that are killers in life and then killers in business or want to be killers in business. And that was a pretty powerful room. I mean, we literally had people from every part of this country. I mean, who the fuck knows anyone from Iowa? We had someone from Iowa there. (laughs) Uh, but it was fun, right? We had people from all over the country that are aspiring to do stuff. And um, to me, I'd like to continue to do them. Are they going to be formal, like a monthly subscription? Some months I want that. Other months I'm like, well, fuck it. Why do we need that? Um, you know, it's really just a group that John and I want to have. It's a group of people that we want to hang out with. And I think that's what's important. We've we've created a, 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 a newer mid-level group of people that are want to learn about self-storage as a feeder program to um, our mastermind. But ultimately the mastermind is really where we live and that's our sphere of excellence. And the uh, self-storage secrets group is a place where we get to pass back and give back our knowledge that we've learned to get to where we are today. Because our group, our LFG mastermind group, is what we call high level. We're not just talking about storage. We're not just talking about family. We're talking about new asset classes. We're talking about wealth preservation. We're talking about building trust. We're talking about, well, if I can do this asset class, why can't I go buy a landscape company or start a flight school 
or whatever it may be of advancing to that next level. Because once you figure out how to put the widget in the top and get the cog out the bottom, it's really just a rinse and repeat and building silos and building generational wealth. And I think that's what John and I both believe in and how we connect. So I will flip it and push it back on you. What do you have a vision for the group? Yeah, I have a change. It's unfortunately, what's that? You motherfucker. I knew you were going to This is why you're on, I'm on your podcast. You're not on mine. All right. Yeah. Well, no, no, it's, it's, hey, we can talk about this because, well, one, yeah. I think we're both doing, want to do it for the right reason. And that's to help people. Right. And selfishly, we want to get something out of it as well, which is why we want high level people in business and life around us. Um, I think frame it the way that we've got self-storage secrets, which is a Facebook group um, as like a free community. And then we've got our higher level LFG mastermind, which is two events a year is the way it's formed right now. Where it goes from here? I have no idea. Every week's different. I went to I've gone to three events, including ours in October. And it's like, I have no desire to do any type of group right now. Um, yeah. I love the one-off events. But yeah, even though the one that I came back from last week uh, that was in Vegas, it's like sitting there in that room, I'm like, I, I enjoy, I really enjoy the in-person rooms, um, events, whatever. I enjoy the in-person. But when I get home, like I enjoy doing business. Well, that's what I want to do. I want to yeah. grow my business and work in my business. That's what I was about to say is, you know, we, we have to respect our time and our boundaries. It's like you could be in a group every day if you wanted to, and you could literally go live every day. Like if we, if we wanted to, we could go live in our group every day, and that's our only business. But then what happens is we lose sight of actually doing business, and then we're not doing business anymore. Are we really useful to you, right. or are we just talking dumb shit yep. to you versus going to continue and do business and be like, here's exactly what I'm seeing in the market. This is exactly what I'm working on. Who's got some feedback or who can use this information? As soon as you stop doing business, I think people, especially nowadays online, it's pretty easy to figure out who's doing business and who's selling something that they've done before and not doing it anymore. And it happens in every asset class. It happens in every group. You find people that just aren't doing business and it makes it hard to run a group because it's like, well, what worked yesterday doesn't work today. Yep. And when you're in real time dealing with it, um, when you're dealing with it in real time, you can provide better feedback to what's working for you. People resonate with that better because guess what? You can't buy facilities right now and try to double them because the market has tightened up a lot. It's yep. people are still people are still trying to sell for crazy numbers, and the back end is not as good as what it's used to be. So, are you buying for a cash flow? Are you looking for different opportunities? Are you looking for expansion opportunities? Has anyone been looking at development? Right. These are all things that we talked about inside our mastermind group. Um, these are this is like just a, like a brief. Like we did, we went and did a facility tour of a gentleman who has this beautiful property, and he's like, "Here, I need to get over X hurdle, and I don't know how to get there." And we walked this facility, and he's like, "I need help, guys." And we were able to help and talk through different profit centers, different relationship ideas different things to be like, Hey man, can you try this? Can you try that? Can you do this? Can you do that? And get him over that hump because we want him to see him succeed. We also talked about, I just fielded a text from one of our members today. Hey, why do you use uh, Steve Bowles who I've had on my podcast? Why are you using him and doing life insurance policies and building a trust through that? We had a conversation about that. We also talked about someone who has a massive landscaping company and he's like, I don't, I just want to I, sometimes I want to sell. Sometimes I want to keep it right. Like these are all the different things that we get to talk about. And I think that's the importance of continuing to do business every single day. It keeps you in the know and allows you to be better. Right. Like I, I think about a coach, like I sometimes find myself and I'm, I'm coaching, I'm coaching 10 year old girls softball. Now look, I'm not a great athlete per se. I understand motivation. One thing the girls get a lot of. I was not a great baseball player by any means. And someone said to me, I can't believe you're coaching softball. I'm like, well, you know, there's some days I feel like a fucking fraud because I'm only so good at baseball and certain techniques. and I don't know all the drills. I'm only kind of remembering what worked for me. And yeah, YouTube, university and all these other things. But even teaching 10 year old girls softball, some days I feel like a fraud. I'm like, man, I wish I was better at softball. So you know what I did? I went out and found 
uh, my business partner's sister who played softball at a super high level. I said, Caitlin, can you come out and speak to my girls and show them stuff, right? You don't always have to be the expert. Um, and I guess what I'm getting at is I think you, I think the reason we're non-committal on the group sometimes is because we continue want to do business and we don't want our business to be coaches. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and to add to that, the event that I went to last week and I'll probably talk about it uh, next episode, but it was supposed to be super high level. And the guy that put it on is considered super high level, high name in the space, uh, big name in the space. And he was going to invite another single family um, real estate investor that's turned into a huge educator. Um, if you're in real estate investing, like you know the name, he was going to invite him to this room because we're in Vegas and the guy, the dude lives in Vegas, but he didn't want to invite him because he's not doing enough deals. And I'm like, that's the room I want to be in. I don't want to be in the room with all the gurus who are no longer doing real estate, right? right. He now has a different business. It's education. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? He's helping a ton of people. That's awesome. But I'm not going to get a ton out of that. I'm not going to relate to it because it doesn't. It's not what I enjoy. I I enjoy giving back, helping people. But I enjoy growing my business and and helping people that way too. And like, this is the most egotistical thing I'll ever say. But it's like, when you're good at business, why wouldn't you continue to do business, whether we're good or not? In our own minds, we feel like we're good at doing business, so we want to continue to do business. Like to hit the pause button and be like, yeah, well, fuck it, I'm going to teach. I'm like, well. That doesn't do it for me. Like I want to be, I agree with you. And the reason I haven't found another room to get into is I haven't found someone where I'm like, all right, I want to be in this dude's room because I think they're doing big things. And I want to be a part of that room. Yep. And ultimately you need to find that room where you resonate with people and you are the dumbest person in the room. Um, that's where you want to be. And I think the leader of the group, Someone did say it right. They said they always need to be working on themselves. And sometimes working on themselves and what you want out of the group might be something that you resonate with them. And sometimes you might join a group and it's not all business. And you're like, well, I'm here for life reasons or I'm here for this type of reason because I do believe in what the person's doing. Um, you know, there, there is advantages to that. I think the people who are running the group always need to be working on themselves. And again, that's something else. And I'm like, eh, sometimes I gut check myself. But I also think working on myself includes going to other events, learning about new asset classes, um, learning about different ways to manage our wealth as we move forward in life and have exits. Um, I think those are all really important things that I'd like to share with other people and a way that we work on ourselves and continue to grow and do business. It's awesome. And notice how we say business, not real estate, right? Like at some point it's going to be more than just real estate. It's going to be business as a whole, right? Like it's, I think the opportunity is massive uh, wherever you look. Once you figure, once you figure out how to make money, you can rinse and repeat that anywhere in any asset class, any part of the country. Yep. Maybe even world. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, LFG mastermind in a nutshell is the last 12 minutes. We have no idea what we just said, but yeah, well, I can tell you this much. We are doing an event in Dallas. It is invite only. Yep. Uh, it will be sometime in March. And if you really, this is, I don't even know why John brought it up. This is not a pitch for our shit, but I'm about to pitch it. If you really want to be a part of it and you want to be in a room with some killers, if we have any seats available, reach out to John or I. Yep. Uh, but like I said, it is usually reserved, invite only. I usually, and John usually seeks out people that we want to spend time with in the room. And that is it. Um, yep. There's no way to sign up for it. There's no way to you will get interviewed by us. Uh, and we like to keep the room to people that we want to hang out with and we want to learn from. Yep. So speaking of that, how can people find you? Uh, Equity Warehouse on all the social platforms. You can check us out, equitywarehouse.com. Uh, you can learn about how we co-invest with our friends and family on real estate. If you want to directly communicate with me, uh, you can go through there. Or my favorite place to communicate is on Instagram uh at equity warehouse uh where i do i do content on all the social sites but the majority of time spent that i should not be spending on social media is generally speaking on instagram it's the best way to get a hold of me direct message me i'm always happy to have a conversation and if i forget just nudge me and i'll usually say hi at some point <laughs>
So yeah, and and make sure he doesn't send all his uh, reels to you. Uh, memes, yeah, I got we plenty of memes, yeah. animated gifts. Uh, if we get that friendly, you'll eventually get some of my favorite animated gifts uh, <laughs> stolen from other people, but. I like to keep it fun and interesting because I used to sit in a firehouse and that was nothing more than a frat house where boys talk shit and it was a grand old time. And I like to keep that going because it did keep us young and fun. So for sure. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, awesome show. I appreciate it. We were over an hour. It felt like 15 minutes, uh, but appreciate it, man. Ton of feedback, ton of uh, nuggets that people can, uh, can take home, take to use. And uh, again, if you guys want to learn more about LFG mastermind, or reach out to Ian with all your newbie questions or mid-level or high-level questions, you can find them. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for following, subscribing, and listening to this episode of the Do More Podcast hosted by John Farling. To learn more or ask questions, go to l4investing.com.